Hello, welcome to the No Man's Land podcast. I'm Martin Rogers, here with Steve O'Neill and our very special guest, Turi Munty of Parlier. So one theme of the podcast recently has been trying to get a sense out of uh, political polarisation, make sense of it, working out what we're to do about it from a centrist point of view, which we think political polarisation and political centrism are not complementary things. So more recently, we've been wondering how on earth we're all suddenly got to agreeing so vehemently on the COVID-19 lockdown and whether this newfound unity can last. So to help us out, who better than our special guest, Turi, of the newly founded party. So, Turi, welcome. Please tell us about yourself. Martin and Steve, thank you so much for having me. It's a great pleasure to be with you on the No Man's Land podcast. Um, very quickly, my background is media. I've been in media for my career. I've been starting companies because people wouldn't hire me, so I had to invent them myself. Last big company was something called Demotics, giant free speech platform. And then this year, we've just founded Palia, which you were talking about. Palia is palia.com. In 2016, the build-up to the Brexit referendum, um, we must have spilt, God knows, what, a, a trillion words, do you reckon, on, on, on Brexit in the papers, on TV, in the pub, over Christmas lunch, etc. Um, and one of the things which hit me as we got closer and closer to this referendum was um, that actually I heard pretty much all the arguments before and kept on having the same arguments. And um, I, just, I just started thinking that actually there were no more than four or five arguments on either side of this extremely big and polarizing debate would it not be therefore possible to map them so that's what we tried to do so with palia what we're trying to do is to map all the opinions about all the big polarizing controversial uh, debates which are out there because we think we can because fundamentally there's a limited number of opinions about everything that's what we're trying to do and we're a wiki so we're exactly like wikipedia in that sense which means that if any of your listeners are interested we'd love to bring them on board as contributors so um we were just talking about 2016 and the, and the build-up to Brexit and how deeply divisive that was. Uh, Steve, you described this sort of merging of the personal and the cultural and the political all into one, a very heady emotional mix um, tied up around, around our politics. Um, 2016 was a sort of the global year of discovering this polarisation, right? It feels like um, it was the year we saw political consensus had already died. So on some level, it it's, seems fair to say that we're more polarized than we've been in a generation, no question. Um, and you can see this in the US. I don't know whether you've looked at the Pew Research Center, but they've got a whole program dedicated to polarization, and they are unequivocal. Um, there is a vast and growing gap between liberals and conservatives, and it's been going on for years, and it's accelerating. Um, and, and what they're seeing there, of course, is that the the core voting patterns are aligning ever more closely with all the other demographic information that you have about people. So we're hardening into, into buckets. Um, But I wonder, again, just to, just to flag this in a broader context, whether um, while we're more polarized than we have been this generation, whether we are more polarized than ever, or whether the last 30 years have been a sort of a blip. I, I wonder what you both think about that. Oh, thanks very much. Actually, Dr. Stephen Davis has written 
um, a piece in the Telegraph today arguing that uh, well, talking about the book that he's brought out. We're all about the shameless sort of plugs and promotions on here. Now, his argument is that Brexit is the consequence of the realignment of British politics, not, as some people say, the cause. Now, I'm inclined to agree with that, that the, the, all of the issues that go into why things become polarised uh, is a very sort of long-running issue over a long time. But I think there really is something about a lot of the, um, the way that politics is sort of caused by as much as causing. So I think it's very sort of simplistic to say that if Brexit caused well, actually, no, the, um, the polarisation, I'm inclined to think, is, is already there. And, I mean, to be honest, we've seen it's been latent, and these things are always easy with hindsight, but there has been a sort of latent polarisation. I mean, you look at the way that the Labour Party talks about the Conservative Party, for example, and has done for basically as long as I can remember going back to, like, uh, Cameron, you know, Cameron and the sort of... Um, crew by-election where people dressed up as toffs to go and criticise Cameron for being posh. Like, and now we sort of see it, maybe more so with the Tories are evil and sort of this sort of thing. But I really think there has been that sort of polarisation there before. So I would be inclined to say that it's not as much of a sort of recent phenomenon as some people might say. Yeah, I'd agree with that as well. Um, but I think the one thing maybe to add is that maybe it feels more uh, polarised now, or more emotional now, because we we have all these kind of different media that maybe we didn't have 30, 40 years ago. Yes, social media, but also more TV and things. Um, so possibly we disagreed as much, but we, we're sort of right in our faces day to day now. I think that's definitely a thing. And I mean, you surround yourselves with like people who basically agree with you and because you don't have anyone who disagrees so you end up agreeing with each other more and more vehemently and violently and loudly i'm sure that's right i'm sure there's a big element there but i I, I'm, i'm almost sort of gesturing further back i'm thinking you know we won the cold war and for 20 odd years with a blip right there was the the whole you know war on terror the islamic world is rising up against the west etc that kind of manichaeanism um kind of overrated manichaeanism um, uh, aside, we've, we've all broadly been part of the same, we've had a sort of consensus view of what reality was and what we should be heading for. And it was probably a little bit free market and quite a lot social progressive and that kind of centrist view that many of us look back on with huge fondness and nostalgia um, as a kind of consensus politics. But if we go back further, long before social media, to um to the to the era of you know three four big newspapers in the UK and those were the only places that you know you got to you got to express yourself you got the Telegraph on the right and the Guardian on the left never the twain shall meet you know those communities were very 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 far split uh, about what Britain should be about Britain's role in the world etc and we've been reminded of that actually by having Jeremy Corbyn on the opposite benches for the last few years because. <laughs> Because it's in a sense a throwback to that kind of more radical leftist politics. So I wonder whether, in a, in a sense, we're just getting used to what politics has always been like. Martin, to your point, 
Um, one, of the, one of the problems with polarization, with radicalization of this kind, is not that we have different opinions from each other. On some profound level, hooray for different opinions, right? We've, we're dealing with climate change, we're dealing with automation, we're dealing with globalization, we're dealing with all sorts of very, very challenging issues that we're facing, let alone a global pandemic, which has locked us all in our homes. Um, we need new ideas. But the terrible thing is exactly as you flagged, which is it's the demonization of the humanity of the other. It's, um, it's the person on the other side of the, of the fence who's screaming at you is not just um, representing a different perspective. They are, they're, they're lacking in profound human worth. That's the thing which is problematic. And there, I think um, your point is all too well made. Social media does not accelerate our, um, our sympathy, <laughs> does not accelerate our empathy towards people um, with different views from our own. No, I think that's, I mean, well, obviously you've just agreed with what I said, so I completely agree with everything you said, agreeing with me. So, and as we, we touched on this in the sort of fair bit of depth with John Denham the other week, is that is COVID then a potentially unifying, depolarizing experience? Because we have all gone through something together, People have looked out for each other. They have gone shopping for each other. They have like, joined family Zoom or video meetings, groups for the places where they live. Um, I hope that it might be a, an experience that brings people together to the extent that they begin to feel that my next-door neighbour might vote a different way from me. You know, they might be a X and I'm a Y or something like that. But this is a chance for us to go, you know what, maybe we disagree about, that. you know, whatever Brexit voting pattern, you know, voting preferences, whatever. But, you know, we get to know each other. We realise they're not a bad person. Their opinions are perfectly valid, made for different priorities or, or whatever, that sort of thing. So let's use that as a segue to talk about, COVID specifically. Now, the way that COVID and polarization manifests itself, at the moment anyway, is lockdown. So, Steve, we were saying the other week that 90 plus percent of people agree with the government measures on lockdown. The government has had pretty much unprecedented support in polls. They've had a bad couple of weeks and they've only got a 15 point lead in the polls so do we still have that consensus uh, is there sort of widespread agreement on lockdown given such vocal opposition and are those opposed just a very vocal small minority so yes that 90 percent supporting the lockdown statistic was perhaps my favorite statistic of the last couple of podcasts um and that on the surface did make it look like people were incredibly unified on this but things seem to have changed a bit so looking at the stuff from the same polling company that's you go uh, what's happened now since we've had a bit of an easing of the lockdown is that people still support lockdown in general but a split on whether we should ease it at all or whether we should just absolutely lock down for even longer um, and that splits the 90 percent basically in half uh, so now we are starting to see some different different sides emerge this coincides by the way with 
some of the government handling of the crisis being seen in a bit more negative light. I think now for the first time we're seeing the disapproved figure slightly higher than the approved figure on some of the polling, um, which is very normal for normal types of government. But so startling was it that the government was so popular, its policy was so popular. I think on the this this issue of vocal minority who who sort of think lockdown uh, was totally misguided and are very angry about it. That's a hard one to say because I haven't seen any real evidence of that. When you go onto onto Twitter, as I've done a few times and engage some of these debates, very quickly you get a sense of a lot of people really think this is very misguided. Um, I think it's one thing to say about it is that there's clearly two, two groups of people there. Um, some, as you saw, protesting the lockdown are very much in the kind of conspiracy theory, 5G causes coronavirus, blame the Chinese, kind of David Icke group. Um, but, but I don't think by any means that is, that is all the opposition to it. I think there is actually a very genuine debate going on between some people who are quite credible scientists and people who are sort of reposting lots of things from those, those scientists. Um, and, and some of that suggests that maybe lockdown wasn't um, as inevitably the right thing to do as we thought it might be. Um, and those who believe that are quite angry about it. So we've seen those sort of uh, quite significant um, views, but how big or how significant the group is in terms of numbers, uh, I couldn't say. No, I think that's a really good point you've actually made there, Steve, which is, it's very easy to take a sort of very broad brush to all of this and just go, well, of course, you know, there's very simple science. We all know what we should do. And, you know, one group is just in the right and one group is in the wrong, which, of course, is where the polarisation comes from. And actually, this is an unbelievably difficult balancing of competing priorities across short-term, long-term. The number of people who will be impacted in terms of their health and their mortality by the economic downturn, the loss of income, the loss of jobs, uh, the recession that's probably already here, the sort of economic, God knows, even depression possibly, though there's a lot of talk of sort of V-shaped recoveries. And actually, it's, you're quite right to say that um, it is a far more nuanced and difficult balancing act and probably an impossible one i think we should actually give the the government breathing space to say that this is not a by any means simple or straightforward but i just want to talk about um a little bit more about sort of polarization so what's um curious and sort of emerging about this and speaks to me anyway uh about the sort of deeper issue of polarisation is the way that um, certain opinions people hold can predict certain other opinions. If you're in favour of the death penalty, you're more likely to be in favour of Brexit, for example. So to go back to you, Turi, Paul has done a lot of work on the sort of the blocks forming in the lockdown debate. So can you tell us a little bit more about that? I can indeed, Martin, thanks, and, and Steve also uh, for setting that up. Um, yeah, I also sort of anecdotally think there's a very, very close crossover between um, sort of positions on Brexit and positions on lockdown. I don't know about, I don't know about you, but um, I, again, just, just anecdotally, friends of mine who are hard Brexit all the way have been ranting furiously about the... the, the, the um, the curtailment of civil liberties, for example, I think there's a crossover there uh, about the damage to the economy, et cetera, et cetera. And um, 
Remainers, my Remainer friends, have all been very, very supportive um, of of lockdown measures. Steve, to to your point, I think I think it's right. I think things are changing fast now. Um, you've seen latest studies on um, or statistics on su- support support for Keir Starmer, and he's rocketed up over the course of the last couple of weeks, hasn't he? So both both you know Boris and Keir are in very strong positions now. There's lots of support on either side, which is interesting. Um, we're back to a we're back to the kind of um, political breakdown that we have known for a long time, which is sort of more balanced support for both sides. Um, but no, yes. Yeah, so on Palia, as I said, Palia is sort of an encyclopedia of opinions. But what we're trying to do is to map opinions which are held out there in the world. We're not we're we're, we're finding um, we're, with our community and our community is doing most of the building. Um, they're they're surfacing controversial questions and trying to understand what what people think about them how those how these opinions cluster into buckets really buckets of opinion um so if you go to palia.com um and you search for the uk lockdown debate you'll come across a question map there which will sort of go through some of the core positions around uh, around lockdown and i'm just i'm reading them out to you um these are not my view this is the view of the of the people who've contributed to it but um we've got i see sort of five core groups here there's the um the, the nanny state position that so let, let the state look after us um and um uh we, we 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 broadly follow their position we understand where they're going um they'll inform us these are times of crisis um and we must follow our leaders you have the authoritarian lockdown position which is which is uh, sort of much more in support of certain sort of European measures, perhaps the Spanish version, which was complete lockdown and everybody. This is this is a threat to people's health, and nothing is more sacred than health. Therefore, lock it all down. Um, on the other end of the spectrum, you've got what um, what I think people have been calling the libertarian position, which is um, you know, end lockdown now. It's a it's a disaster for the economy. The cure is going to be worse than the disease. You've heard that many times especially if you spend too much time on Twitter. Martin. Um, and there, you know, the, 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 the information supporting that position would be um, the model is false. Neil Ferguson's model was, was badly put together. We're better off supporting the Oxford model or the Swedish model. Um, death rate predictions are, 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 are inappropriate. Um, the state shouldn't be able to control the individual. So you've got sort of specifics around the, the, the data that's being used through to sort of big abstract things about um, creeping authoritarianism, this concern that the, that the state can dictate that people spend time in time, in time inside their homes, et cetera, et cetera. Um, in other positions, you've got um, the, what's been called here the collective coordination state, that um, the state is purely there for us to coordinate all our actions together and that therefore it is legitimate when it listens to us and it seems to have done so. Um, uh, and then a last category that I see is the test, trace, isolate, protect, which is um, v- very much the there is a scientific rationale behind this and consensus around that science. Therefore, we follow that, regardless of who's in charge, regardless of our support for government or not. Um, but again, I don't know whether those are right. And that's the glory of Palia is that everybody can come in and um, hopefully improve what we've got there so that um so that by the time i hope i come speak to you again that map will be filled out filled out and much more accurate 
one of the things I wanted to pick up on that I found really interesting, and I'd be keen to get your view, is that uh, some of the views you described, they're quite opposite, have uh, this kind of recourse and going back to the science as if, as if it sort of proves their view is correct and they're just looking at it wholly rationally. But they're obviously coming at it from very different places. Now, I'm aware that some of the science around the benefits or otherwise of lockdown are, are very complicated and contentious. But the idea that people um, seem to appeal to the science, but perhaps actually are coming at this from a, a more emotional, biased perspective, I think is quite interesting. I just wondered if you had any thoughts on that. I mean, Steve, I, I wonder whether you just haven't put your finger on the very nature of opinion, which is that most of us um, make up our opinions from our stomachs and then use our brains to sort of post hoc rationalize what we feel. Um, and um, I think that's the case with pretty much everything. And one of the most interesting things about opinion, which is, of course, what Parnia is looking at, is not just what are the opinions out there, but where do they come from? What are they engendered by? What are the key drivers of people's perspectives? That's what we're interested in looking at. And in the case of COVID-19 and the lockdown, it's, all, it's even more obvious, even more explicit. We, we have no idea really about the science yet. We don't know anything detailed about the R rate. Um, we don't really understand what the illness does to the body Lots of people have been saying, lots of epidemiologists have been saying, you know, this is a disease which is going to take years, not just to find a vaccine for, but to understand the workings of. So everybody is marshalling bits of science to support probably gut positions. And, um, and that's why it's such a beautiful sort of landscape to look at because it, um, because it talks so much to people's sort of deeper prejudices, deeper positions than actually, um, than, um, than, than perhaps what the science and specifics would say here. I mean, that was brilliantly put. Um, and just as you, you were speaking, I was thinking, it's interesting that no one's put the view, or maybe they have in the details, but that no one's put the view, we should wait and see, we just don't know yet, which is probably the truth of where we are. <laughs> I think that's right. Thank you. This has been a fantastic discussion on, in a way, quite a momentous day, because the, uh, the government... I just want to slip this in, has sold bonds with negative yields for the first time, which really just does um, underpin how unprecedented the times that we are living in. And I think we can all hopefully look forward to living in precedented times before too long. Um, and so in the meantime, cheery. Fantastic. Thank you so much for joining us. It's been fascinating. Um, Steve, as ever, this has been the No Man's Lab podcast. Thank you very much and goodbye. Martin, Steve, thanks so much. Take care.